Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and a warm welcome to the Bill Arnold Show. If you've been listening in the last hour or so, you know that Bill is on vacation for today and tomorrow, enjoying an extended holiday weekend. We're glad to see Bill get some rest and relaxation with some friends. I'm Peter Kapsner, filling in for today and tomorrow for Bill. And in the second hour of the show, I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Reverend Pastor, I suppose, Dave Johnson here. Uh, <laughs> Dave, thanks for coming into studio. You bet, Peter. I don't get called Reverend very often. I... I <laughs> kind of like the ring of that. Yeah, yeah. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Not really. <laughs> well, <laughs> we should get some of the niceties out of the way on the front, and obviously this isn't the first time you and I have hung out. We've uh, known each other for the better part of 30 years and yeah. met you uh, 30 years ago or so when I was a broken and, and sort of in pieces teenager, and, mm-hmm. and our friendship blossomed over those years as you were a young pastor and, and a quickly growing church at that time. We eventually became colleagues over the years and friends. We have, we have fought. We have laughed. We have cried. <laughs> we've done all of the above in those 30 years. It's been quite a journey. So it's great to have you here in studio. Yeah, thanks, Peter. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So I know one of the things we wanted to cover today, among the many things, and you've got a a book that's coming out somewhat soon, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but just even some of your background in ministry. I mean, you started at a pretty early age and and really experienced the headiness of a church that grew really quickly. And and there is a lot of good about that, but there's a lot of difficulty in that. And a lot of times pastors don't really talk about what it's like behind the scenes. Hmm when a church is just blowing up and exploding. I mean, you went from a couple hundred people to maybe 6,000 or so in a relatively quick period. So 28 years old, you started pastoring at Open Door roughly? 27. 27. So at a very young age. And, yep. and by the time you're in your mid-30s, this thing has blown up. Yep. And, and you, it's early in the megachurch season of our country when some of these bigger churches like the Willow Creeks and the Saddlebacks are making this impact and Open Door is among them. These are heady times. What was it like for you as a young man when this church is doing what it's doing? Um, it's a great question. You know, I, uh, when, when, when we first uh, got there, it's a small denominational church, about 160 people, as you said. Um, I think looking back on it now, I wouldn't have language, I wouldn't have had language like this for it then. But I think there was kind of a religious spirit over the church and just kind of um, even some legalism in it. And the first five years, actually, were really quite difficult. I didn't know if we were going to make it, and I had come to this. My dad was a pastor, had a deep commitment to expository teaching, but really my agenda was to 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 bring the kingdom of God and the message of grace in such a way that um, that should we quit pretending. Um, I, I, as good as my background was and as wonderful as my dad was as a pastor, the culture, the church culture I grew up in was very much about how things look is what mm. matters. And it killed me. And I um, almost, uh, there were times I can't even imagine myself being in the ministry, but there really wasn't a, a, a grace discovery where I realized that whatever it is that we're hiding in the um, inside, if you bring it out here where God can see it, he can also heal it. And so I came with that agenda kind of thing, and that was kind of what was fueling most of what I wanted to do. So the first five years were very difficult. I would say not very happy. Uh, It grew slowly, so I didn't get kicked out or anything like that. The people who count nickels and noses 
didn't have enough evidence to get rid of me. <laughs> About the sixth year, and this is a fascinating thing, I think, um, because I've talked to other pastors who've kind of marked that as a significant year. If you're in a difficult thing, it was that year that turned. Uh, the fifth, sixth year, it turned. And what turned was we finally had the elders who had the same heart that I did, were on the same page, and it was just like a breath of fresh air. I remember years uh, driving to church on a Tuesday night whenever we had a board meeting, and my mind was always trying to figure out how do we get ministry around the board because they had all sorts of power to decide yes or no. They weren't involved in ministry, and so how do we get it around the board, get them to say yes and when I know they don't want to do these things. And so finally, after the fifth year, uh, we were on the same page. Mm. And so there was a sense of synergy. The church started growing. And then we got to this place that you were describing where there really was kind of an explosive um, kind of growth. We did an unusual thing because uh, we started, I started there at a church in Crystal, 45th in Florida, a church that seated about maybe... 250 people had grown to the point we were in two services, felt like we needed a bigger space. And a lot of times you start a church in school and then you maybe build a church building. And we did this weird thing where we were in a church building and because we didn't have, we weren't in any position to even think about building at the time. We started renting a school, went to Cooper High School first in the auditorium. Then we went to Robbinsdale uh, High School, ultimately moved to the gym Went from one service to two services to three services. And, um, yeah, that that growth was um, um, exciting and thrilling and surprising, quite frankly. When you mentioned some of the other, you know, megachurch things, I think they had more of a, st- a strategy than we did <laughs> to grow. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that what was happening was happening. There was a lot of uh, healing I mean, it's weird. I talked to a guy yesterday um, who's actually helping us on the book who, unbeknownst to me, went to Open Door back in the day, and he just told the story that I've heard, and so have you, Peter, uh, over and over again. He says, we came, and we're coming from another church in a different ministry where they were burned out. They didn't want anybody to greet them. They went up in the top of the bleachers where it was dark and wept for six months, got healed. And God was doing this amazing thing in those days. We didn't always... Uh, understand why we kind of did there was a move of the spirit it really was but when you ask how i experienced it yeah because i mean at this time right i mean you're saying you're going to two and then three services and i remember what it was like i mean people just packed this sweaty hot gymnasium and you were speaking sometimes for 45 minutes to an hour to an hour and 15 and outside looking in if you're a, a, a pastor in ministry you'd think that guy's got it. That guy's got what I want. And yet, as all of these things are going on, you're experiencing the sort of, it's starting to suck you dry. You're starting to die inside. Yeah, 12 years in, that was the marker. Um, So six years of real hard stuff, six years of, let's say, whoa, 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 it's growing like crazy. And about, it was at that 12-year mark, I kind of, I hit the wall. I didn't kind of hit the wall. I hit the wall. And um, uh, it was exhaustion. There was some disillusionment, quite frankly. We, we, there was this very powerful and effective and healing message of grace that we had been proclaiming, and it was having a powerful effect. And it really was this thing about quit pretending uh, 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 how things look is not what matters. How things are in your marriage, in your heart is what matters. And that's what we want to talk about. And trust me, there's grace for however ugly it is. And it was just having this incredible 
effect in a positive way. But the 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 the, the way I described it was two, two, twofold. One, every um, organizational uh, defect that we thought we could ignore, every organizational weakness that we thought we could ignore because we were growing so fast, came up and bit us really hard and said, nah, you can't <laughs> ignore this organizational stuff. We, we, it was just growing so fast that we out we outstripped all of that, um, the capacity to even catch yeah. up with it organizationally. Uh, the second thing was, um, just quickly, you just begin to hear these things, and I'm going, no, 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 what are you saying? But it was grace had become so amazing to some that obedience didn't matter um, to some. And um, you just start smelling that, and that was in the environment. It drove me crazy. And then it did manifest in some ways that were more visible when we would begin to hold people accountable for certain things, mm-hmm. even on the staff. And there were some very unfortunate issues relative to even marital struggles that were disillusioning, um, exhausting. It kind of makes you wonder, what are we what is this? It's, it's amazing and exciting and people are coming and everybody's raising their hands and singing. And what's it producing? And what's it producing in me, too? Because there was, you know, I could call it exhaustion there for one. Um, I remember the way I used to describe it. I think I even described it to you this way, that I could sit at church in the bleachers there and look at the congregation. Everybody's got their hands raised and they're having a wonderful time and all I could here was this incredible sucking noise <laughs> and what it was doing was sucking the life yeah. out of me yeah and, and and at that time i mean you were not at all equipped in the ways that maybe you thought you might be needed to be equipped and that's even part of what we're going to talk about here coming up after a short break is the idea of you needed a different kind of breath you, you needed to to step aside you actually even did step aside for a pretty extended period of time and begin to discover a new way of life that would be sustainable because it wasn't sustainable right. to be in that kind of environment to be the focus of everybody and 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 to walk away from that and what you began to discover when you came back so if you're listening today it's dave johnson in studio with us we're talking about what it means to start living a different kind of way of life where we begin to live within the actual breath of God and be sustained for the long haul. And Peter Kapsner filling in for Bill Arnold. We'll be back here in just a minute. Welcome back to the show. I'm Peter Kapsner and delighted to be joined in studio by Pastor Dave Johnson. We're talking about what it means to stay in something for the long haul and specifically in this case, the pastoral ministry. And Dave, during the break, as we were just even reflecting a little bit about your need to step away, uh, it also comes up that there, you know, there are pastors that simply don't make it for the long haul. And, and, and we have a number of pastors, I'm sure many listeners have had the very unfortunate experience of having troubling news come out about their pastor that something happened and, and there's a disgraced pastor. And this, this just happens so frequently. And part of it is, is we just don't know what it means to stay in something for the long haul. Right. And, and um, boy, there are so many things that trigger with what you just said. One is when there's a disgraced pastor, I, I, my heart immediately goes to compassion toward him. I mean, there are consequences for whatever that disgrace yeah. was, but the, I think I understand some of the pressures that sometimes push people into things that are very destructive at times. And so there's this compassion piece, I feel, but also there's this disillusionment piece that people feel when they're following someone that they think is this guy and he maybe is not that guy, he's yeah. a different guy, or there's a hidden life. And all of that 
Yeah, speaks to this interior life. What kind of life is actually being lived on the inside of you? When I did hit the wall, uh, one of the things that actually got my attention, Peter, was um, that I was I was angry, and I had come up with this idea that you couldn't be the senior pastor of a fast, a quickly growing church and a healthy person. Mm. You had to pick. So if we're going to keep going at this rate and, you know, accommodate, and I'm going to be the guy who's all da, 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 doing all that, um, it's really going to cost my, it's going to cost me my internal life. It's going to cost me things at home. If I really start paying attention to my interior life, I'll have to slow down and maybe not keep up with that. And I felt like you got to pick. And the fact mm. that you had to pick, that's where I, that's where I felt this anger. And that's what got me into counseling. And that's when I... <laughs> Great. I mean, this is I'm trying to condense things because at some point you got to look in the mirror and go, maybe it's not their fault and the elders are creeps and they don't pay me enough. Now, maybe it's you and some things in you need to grow. I did feel like I had this not quite a vision, but a word from the Lord when I hit this wall and was off for a period of time. I had this picture of me kind of being this Pied Piper who was blowing the trumpet Enough to Pied Piper blew a trumpet. Music man. Okay, let's make him that. Blowing the trumpet of amazing grace as quickly or as clearly and loudly as I could to what was becoming an ever increasing crowd. And the word to me from, I think, the Spirit of God was Dave, would you be willing to stop, turn around, and instead of getting more and more people, call out the life of God and the people who are already there to what may be a smaller crowd? And I remember saying to God, absolutely, I will, until the crowd <laughs> actually got small. Then that took me <laughs> off. So anyways, but that was my, I don't know if that's the whole thing. But you, you began to talk about pastors who are disgrace and all of the things that come with that. Um, I remember where I was sitting and I was at Open Door. We were having a conference and there was a, a the, the keynote speaker um I uh, was talking about the kingdom of God, and anecdotally, this wasn't part of his talk, he said this, that of all the most gifted men and women that I've ever been in ministry with, none have finished well. It's a haunting, an unbelievably haunting statement, that of all the gifted men and women that he knew, none had finished well. None. Well, I was meeting him for lunch. He was at, he was speaking at our church, and we were meeting him for lunch, and so we went out to lunch, and I said, dude, um, I know you're a pastor, which means you exaggerate. But, but you said none. I mean, it wasn't really none. And when you think of not finishing well, we almost always think of something that was um, uh, uh, disgraceful, some, some right. moral failure. Right. And was it that? And here, his answer was, well, in the denomination he was in, he was speaking of that. We had our share of moral failure. But the thing that was most discouraging to him was... The biggest thing was uh, people were ending their ministry life bitter, cynical, disappointed, angry, and that that just like wow, wow, that scared me because you know cynicism. I thought that was a spiritual gift. <laughs> Maybe I had it. Like if you're not a little cynical, you're not paying attention or something. Right, right. But no, 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 that, that, that bitter thing and being disappointed, like maybe what you thought God would do, he's not going to do, is, is bitterness is an easy thing to choose. 
I mean, for 38 years, I could smell it. Um, I think that um, mm, Ron Rollheiser talks about we're all going to become the fact that in life, we're all going to become an old fool. Mm. Meaning, and that's speaking generally of our life. We're going to become old, diminished physically. You can you you can see it now. You haven't seen me in a year. See? Yeah, <laughs> here it's right here. And um, uh, and 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 no no choice in becoming an old fool, diminished in a, in a right. variety of ways. Right. You do get a choice in the kind of old fool you're going to become. One is a pathetic fool. You know the type. This is the person who can't, who who denies that they're being diminished or are diminished, and so they grasp they hang on they won't let go they push everybody down the stereotype is the guy who's in the 70s who marries a child in his her 30s and right. it's it's pathetic it is pathetic yeah never been never i've never felt threatened by that because i <laughs> couldn't do it <laughs> um but the bit the other is the bitter fool and it's like it's like wow god um that's such an it, I can smell that one. That's such an easy choice. It could go there very... And so my spirit has been around issues of formation. Um, I can tell you of major seasons, even at Open Door, when we were going through what I thought might be a transition and um, uh, or, or whatever, uh, I, would, I would use these words, my soul needs to expand. I need something mm. bigger on the inside of me um, if I'm going to carry this new season. And... It just drove me to this place of, of and, and it wasn't just me. I think the whole church was ready. When I hit the wall, it's hard to describe this, but it was there was a way in which the whole church was at this place of, yeah, what's going on? When the marital stuff on our staff kind of exploded in front of everyone, we're all kind of going, man, oh, man. And so when I came back from my sabbatical, which I think I told you this it was, it was a sabbatical from hell. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. Everything. Oh man, yeah. It's not the house was on fire. Everything about everything. it. Remember it? Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was not. <laughs> it's not this, you know, wonderfully um, restorative experience. But I came back and with some promises, like God. I felt like God was saying, um, "I'll give you what you need when you need it," mm. even though I didn't have a thing. But the other one was the word to open door. We need to grow up because if we, as a church, spiritually, emotionally, we need to grow up organizationally or die. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's making it more sound, sound more simple than it was, but there came a real devotion to the inner life. Dallas Willard began to be our teacher. Leanne Payne began mm-hmm. the inner kind of healing kinds of things. Um, you probably could rattle off a few of them, primary voices we began to listen to and, yeah. and shaped us, but all around this issue of formation and developing the internal kind of life um, that can sustain you for the long haul. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, and it started with that sort of, as you said, the explosion of, of amazing grace that hit, where where you felt the freedom to come into the light with what was going on in the darkness because you knew you had a God who was for you and 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 wanted that for you. And then, but after that explosion happened, if you don't start walking in the formational reality where you do begin to grow and mature, you can't stay in something for the long haul. And I know. Uh, before we get into the book a little bit more, just even about living within the breath of God for a lifetime, uh, some of this experience for you really did uh, yield the, a, a passion to see young people and people in ministry be able to stay in it for the long haul. I mean, it's part of the, you left Open Door a few years ago after how many years? Were you 40 years? Uh, 38. 38, 38 years. Yeah. yeah, I had a bunch of people going, we would, uh, 
Weenie. You couldn't round it off to, to 40, 40. 40 yeah. years. And, but but you're, you have a ministry you're involved with now that is, is helping people stay with the, in, in long haul. So why don't you just talk a little bit about that? Uh, we're calling it Things That Remain yeah. and um, uh, formed a nonprofit around that. It's actually morphing now because of COVID and also because of this diagnosis I yeah. got that is weird. But Things That Remain actually is, uh, um, I, I didn't want to call it Staying in it for a long haul. It was just too long of a name. <laughs> but um, things that, re- I mean, yeah, things that remain is that of 1 Corinthians 3, and it's where Paul talks about um, gold, silver, precious stone that remains, wood, hay, stubble, which is burned up. And what's interesting about the wood, hay, stubble uh, is, is that it, the wood, hay, stubble, when it gets burned up, you, you think, oh, that's the bad stuff. No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with wood, hay, stubble. There's, nah, there's no sin in that. It just doesn't remain. Uh, we talked about it yesterday that in the church we spend a lot of energy on things that we think really matters, like coffee in the foyer. Nothing wrong with coffee in the foyer. It isn't going to remain. That's not what is going to transform people's lives. And so I just, after 38 years of ministry, I looked back and just began what what, what remained. What remained? And it was good to be able to say I've. there are some things that remained, and when I talk to leaders and pastors now, I want to talk about that. Um, how is your interior life? I think, I mean, one of my favorite stories, and this is really a sad story, is Samson. Yeah, right. Who, um, who, who? I mean, I, I wish I could unpack the whole thing, but he's a guy who God, into whom God invested enormous gifts. Okay, they came out as physical strength, but pretend they were, just pretend they were spiritual strength and an anointing to vanquish the enemy. And protect and set free the people of God. Mm-hmm. And um, but the problem with 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 Samson is he was like a lot of people who are gifted and even authentically anointed uh, was that he didn't have the internal character of strength of character internally to carry the anointing God gave him. Because I think any authentic anointing has a weight to it. And um, so he begins to break his vows and break his vows and break his vows. You know the story. Right. What was really the trap for him, and I think for lots of people, particularly in the ministry, is that in the story, if you read it, he would break a vow, and then the Spirit of the Lord would come on him, and he'd be just fine. I mean, this church is still full on Sunday morning, and I just preached a good sermon, even though during the week, and I broke a vow, I broke a vow. Well, what? The Spirit of the Lord's still on me, which gives you the idea it didn't matter. Mm. Yes, it did. Because over the long haul... I think people like Samson didn't pay attention to their interior life because they didn't think they had to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'd love to get into that. We'll take a short break here in just a minute. But that that idea then about staying within the breath of God in your interior world, what does it mean to be in this sort of ongoing partnership? You referenced Dallas Willard. And one of my favorite quotes uh, of Willard is that we are co-conspirators with God, that that we are part of the kingdom with him together and that there is this way in which we can begin to live in his breath and, and, and be sustained, not just for ministry, but for life and anything else in the long haul. So stay with us. More to come with Pastor Dave Johnson on The Bill Arnold Show.
Welcome back to the show. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Bill Arnold today, who is on an extended vacation through the holiday weekend and delighted to be joined in studio by Pastor Dave Johnson, where we're talking a bit about what it means to stay with something for the long haul. And Dave, we're not talking just about ministry here. In fact, that's not even primarily. That was your context about staying in it. But when we're talking about staying in it today and, and the listeners that I'm sure are listening, I know one of the phrases you've used over the past several years in particular is what does it mean to, like the Apostle Paul, finish this race? Race filled with faith. How, how do you, how do we stay in this race of faith for the long haul? Right. Well, the the phrase I would like to go back to that I've used and it really helped me by by staying in it for the long haul. I love saying this to pastors, but like you said, Peter, it applies to anybody. When I say staying in it, by it I don't mean the ministry. You yeah. can serve God faithfully and powerfully in the kingdom of God and not be in vocational ministry. That's a bizarre thought that you have to be in the ministry. Right. No, you don't. Right. So by it, I don't mean the minister, I mean the faith. But by faith, I don't just mean orthodoxy, believing the right thing, though I hope you believe the right thing, and it matters to believe the right thing. But that's not, saying in it is not the ministry, it's the faith. By faith, I don't mean orthodoxy, I mean being a man or a woman who is full of faith and hope in God, particularly all the way to the end, even if at the end you didn't get what you thought you were going to get. It doesn't Mm. look the way you thought it would look and wasn't as fulfilling maybe as you thought it would be fulfilling. And that's where Paul comes in. And this is where I just became fascinated by him. Second uh, Timothy uh, is that verse where he says, I've run the race, kept the faith, finished yeah. the course. Da-da. Ever, my dad, again, my dad's a pastor. I heard that, vo- that verse all my life, preached well, but, uh, and it wasn't the preacher's fault, but the way I would visualize that, and it became my, you know, what I want to be able to do when I finish well, is there's Paul finishing the race, nostrils flaring at the top of his game, high fives all around. That's how he finished well. Um, <laughs> and that's great, uh, except nobody ever read two or three verses past that verse where he sounds possibly triumphant, run the race, kept the faith. Because he says, just two verses later, no one was with me. No one defended Mm. me. He was entirely alone. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, had no external trappings of what we would call success. And here he is saying, I finish full of hope in God, full of faith. Yeah. Not cynical. There's no cynicism in that. He's not the bitter fool there and, and it's not like I've got, here's the three ways to do that. Uh, but that kind of thing all of a sudden became, that's my, that's my life goal. How do mm. we do that? If the church is withering when you're, and you're going, oh, man, I must be horrible. You know, are, you, are you a man or a woman full of faith and hope in God? Was your, are you rooted? But if that's going to be true of you at the end. Yeah. You will have had to have been, does that make sense, rooted in something other than how big your church is or how successful your life is or how big your house is. It's going to have to be rooted in something deeper, and that's all about what's going on in your soul. Yeah. What is your source of life? And more than I think we would like to admit, or more than we're aware of, mm-hmm. um, we get our sense of identity, our sense of life and wellness from how good we look, how big it is, uh, how successful, how, you know, that's a lifelong thing. 
And and that's that's so different than what this invitation. And we're not going to the the book is still in process. I know you're close to having it completed. We're not going to share the titles yet, you know, and all of that. But but I know it it has to do with with a series of chapters that take us through the idea of the breath of God in the biblical text and where God's breath really does intersect us for a lifetime. Uh, and, and that we can live within that breath. And, and we learn so much from the stories of Scripture about the breath of God um, and, and how it really can be this sustaining breath. I, I've heard it said that uh, to obey simply is to live within the voice or even the breath of God. It is, it is to be walking that out with him. I don't know of any other way to be filled with faith. I, I would imagine some of this mm. is what prompted the writing of this book for you. I'd love for you to just give us some of the highlights of sure. what we've been talking about today and how it connects with what you've been writing about. Well, it, what prompted it was a number of things. One of them actually was my IPF diagnosis yeah. of yeah. Uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Idiopathic means unknown cause. Pulmonary means lungs. Fibrosis is um, scarring, scarring yeah. of the lung. Uh, my dad died of that. My older sister died of that a year, two years ago. I have another older sister who's at a very advanced age, and I just found out I have it. So... I have a hard time breathing. Yeah. Um, and I probably doesn't sound like it here, but yeah, yeah. Uh, of late I've even found out that my lung capacity is lessened. That's not why we're writing the book. And um, But that analogy, a friend of mine came to me and said, this thing of gasping for breath, and it's weird because now with COVID, everything's about that. And even with George Floyd, it's like I can't breathe. Right. And this is not about that, but the universality of <sighs> breath uh, when I hit the wall, that chapter is called gasping for breath. Mm. When I couldn't, I could I just couldn't breathe anymore in the context of what looks like success. I couldn't breathe. And I'm telling you, that is not about physical breathing. And I don't know anybody, you know, it's like, maybe there are some people, but I think, I think people right now are feeling like they can't breathe emotionally, spiritually, maybe not physically, but the physical, I'm talking more about hitting the wall, gasping for breath. And what was, was weird when, when that metaphor of gasping for breath and, and that whole thing, all of a sudden it created, it became this vehicle that I was able to kind of put a whole bunch of things that I want to talk about and have wanted to talk about for a very long time, even formation, like, like breath. What do you breathe on people? Yeah. What, what, what's, and all that question is, is what's in you and John 20, Jesus said, um, it says he breathed on them, there's that breath thing, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And you get into the commentaries and I'll go, oh, was that Pentecost party before Pentecost? <laughs> right, right. right. All, okay, you can get lost in that, but I just think when Jesus breathed on them, the Holy Spirit, what he breathed on them was what was in him. Mm-hmm. Breath, spirit. So what's in you? Right, and that's the origin. I mean, that's how we are. God breathed the breath of life into us right from the beginning. Yep, yep. Oh man, Peter, from the beginning, it starts in the beginning. I mean, it's that's yeah. the whole breath thing, kind of like holy moly. This is uh, can you say holy moly again? I, well, I think we just did. Yeah, okay. Rebe- <laughs> Rebecca does not have her thumb over the dump button right now, so apparently, holy moly is okay. It's okay. okay. I'll allow it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, well, the, the very first thing, it, it all began in the beginning when God breathed into the nostrils uh, the breath of life and man became a living soul, not um, animated flesh, a living soul. And um, in the beginning, I owe this to you, Tov. It was Tov. It yeah. was shalom. It was the way things are supposed to be. 
And men and women, Adam and Eve, walked with God in the cool of the day, and the breathing was easy. Mm. And then we forgot to breathe. Yeah. And we've been gasping for breath ever since. And then the breath comes again in Ezekiel 37. You know the story. Yeah, we see this restorative breath of God that does continue to show up. So, yeah, say more. It never stops. And um, in Ezekiel 37, God comes to the prophet Ezekiel and Ezekiel, and says, he says, Ezekiel, this is my paraphrase, obviously, um, I'm going to show you the physical condition or the spiritual condition of your people, Israel. And he sees a valley of bones and they were very dry, meaning they were not only dead, they'd been dead for a very long time. Prophet asks, can these bones live? And the, the Lord says, well, yeah, I will cause my breath again. Here's the mm. breath, but prophesy to the bones. And I get kind of literal, and I think, well, there's a, there's a goofy picture. Right. Imagine right. somebody preaching to a bunch of dead people, and it's not that weird, because I think it <laughs> happens more than we think when someone's standing preaching to people who spiritually are dead, and they've been dead for a very long time, and they don't even know that they're dead. But the promise of Ezekiel 37 is a renewing of life, and it comes with the breath. If you read through there, and my breath, and the breath of the Spirit came, and they began to come to life. Incredible picture in that when they the sinews are connected to the muscle forms and the skin covers. And then it, the picture I have is that they begin to stand up, and at the end of it, they're, they are an exceedingly great army. Okay, and you all of a sudden go military. No, 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 forget about the military piece of that. An army has a mission. Mm. So, so, so now they are, they've come back to life. They are alive. They were bones. Now they're, now they're capable of now entering back into the mission that God gave them in the beginning. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, what do you got? Wind, yeah. which is breath. And with the breath of God, 3,000 come to what? Life. But then Ephesians 2. Uh, I have a theory. I don't know this for sure, but I think that Paul's use of language in Ephesians 2, a text we're very familiar with, is informed somewhat by Ezekiel 37. In, in Ephesians 2, he says basically this. We were, remember this, we were dead in our transgressions mm-hmm. and our sins. So I'll paraphrase that we weren't just sinners who needed forgiveness. We were sinners who need forgiveness, and we got forgiveness. But we, it was worse than that. So the solution needed to be bigger than that because we weren't just sinners. We were dead mm. in our transgressions and our sin. But God, what did he do? Made us alive. How did he do that? With his breath, promise. With his breath, we came back to life, and he filled us with his spirit, which is what? breath (laughs) and we came to life not just saved we could have another whole session on this right because i grew up it's all about being saved i'm not saying you shouldn't be saved but i think a more compelling question is are you alive yeah Uh, as a life of god in you can people tell and then in ephesians 4 this brings it back entirely to ezekiel and by the way when he said paul said you were dead i i think he might as well have said and um, they're just as dead as the dry bones of Ezekiel yeah. 37. Um, and even in the spiritual condition of Israel, when he's saying these words to the Ephesians. But Ezekiel, in Ephesians 4, he says this incredible thing that I just, it captures my imagination and vision for the church. But it, I've given to the church apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the body until we all attain to unity of the faith and the knowledge of Christ, 
you know that verse, but the, the, the picture, the vision, the hope, now picture this, is ultimately to become a mature person. Okay, now we're so individualistic, like you, right. Peter, are a mature, no, no, it's a people. It's the body. The, the, the vision is like this great army, all the bones, all of a sudden it's not just a person, it's a people, a mature person that is the body of Christ in the world, um, growing to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. I have to close my eyes, and when I do, I can see it. This, like the bones in Ezekiel, they start going together, and all of a sudden they stand, and when you stand up, they're visible. The body of Christ, the authentic body, growing, maturing by speaking the truth Mm -hmm. one to another in love. Um, um, I mean, it's like, I don't know if we've seen it, but growing to what? To the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And now you can see it, but what you see is Christ and what you smell is an aroma of Christ and um, Holy Spirit come. Yeah. That's all I can say. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh, the need for what you just described in, in the midst of the, the um, chaos in the world around us for, for the church to not be you, the individual, but for you, the church, to stand up and, and to have the breath breathed into, as you described. Uh, Dave, we'll take a short break, but when we come back, I'd love to get into that a little bit more just in terms of, you know, that, that how can we begin to breathe life into the church? How can people who are involved in the church breathe life in such a way that a people can begin standing up mm-hmm. and shining that kind of light in the world? And also, too, for the listeners that probably are compelled by the idea that they're heading into a last season of life, whether that's five years or 15 or 20, 25 years, how, how do they finish that well? And how do they begin to maybe even breathe blessings on other people as Jacob did in his final days uh, out of Hebrews 11? So we'll talk about that next year on The Bill Arnold Show. I am Peter Kapsner filling in and again in studio with Dave Johnson. Delighted to be here talking about these things so critical to our faith. It is about 12 minutes for the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Bill Arnold today, and we're delighted to be joined by Dave Johnson talking a bit about what it means to live within the breath of God. And Dave, so many places we could go in our last 10 minutes, but just thinking about something you shared recently that uh, I had never seen out of Hebrews chapter 11 about sort of the end of Jacob's life and and the blessing that he began to breathe out even in his last breaths. But uh, you shared a bit in, in the vulnerability of where you are in your own health journey right now, whether that's a year ahead for you or five or 10 or 20. The next day is not promised any of us, but there's something clearly that is in front of you related yeah. to these things that I'm sure many of our listeners can can resonate with and identify with. And, and so when we were talking earlier in the show about, um, just before the break even, about the church growing up as as a you, where all of the, the yous of the New Testament are plural, they're not singular, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, then we're talking, you are a body and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, as, as you've had so many years of ministry and breathing out the breath of God's life and whatever this last season that you have, I mean, how, how would you breathe life into the church? What would you... <laughs> in the craziness that's going on around um, us, the church has always been the bride in the midst of whatever circumstances in which it finds itself. But, um, but breathe some life. I mean, hmm. what, tell us a little bit, maybe first, even about the Jacob story from Hebrews okay. 11. So listeners know what I'm referencing sure. and then, then let's do some of that. Okay. 
Well, um, the, actually, the, the last chapter of the book is Last Breath. The first chapter is Yeah, first we should breath. say, what is the name of the book, by the way? Uh, we didn't know if we, for Breath. It's, it is called Gasping right. for Breath, and it's going to be out sometime between now and the holidays. Hopefully before Christmas. Before yeah. Christmas, yeah. okay. okay. So yeah, the last go. chapter is The Last Breath, and that was kind of when I ended up writing it. It was still, we hadn't gotten to it yet, but I got this second, not diagnosis, but I about a month and a half ago, I heard they did some more tests, lung yeah capacity was decreased and stuff like that and so i was just feeling uh the reality of that and they were talking about a new stage and maybe some meds that were gonna be um hard to take possibly and but i went to this all of a sudden i had energy to talk about this last breath and Hmm. the text that i'd been thinking about for a long time it's there you've read it but i never heard it this way like you said in Hebrews 11, which is that hall of fame of faith, where by faith Noah built an ark, by faith Moses left Egypt, by faith uh, people did these amazing things. And then by faith, it says that Jacob, as he was dying, blessed the sons of, J- mm. of, of Joseph. And I, I said, and that means I go, I don't know if everybody's going to see how incredible this is, because I would just start to weep. I'm going... As he was dying, that means with his last breath, he breathed life. That it's possible is what captured me. That, that you know, talk about finishing well, that yeah. you have something of life to give. I don't even know what that meant. What does it mean? Did he bless him? Did he go, I bless you now? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but there was, there was still, in his, with his last breath, there was life coming out of him. And um, all of a sudden, that, that becomes, I mean, I could... I could try to unpack the whole chapter, but ultimately that becomes, I think sometimes, Peter, you get what you want. Like, do you want mm. that? Do you want to, you want to live that kind of way so that in that day, on your last day, you still have a breath of life for your children, for your friends, for the, I don't know, the world in some mm. way. All of that though is contingent on not try really hard. It's be the real deal. Hmm. have is there is that life are you cultivating that kind of life um you know one of the things in the chapter on breathing on people i had a memory and maybe everybody can relate to this bonnie and i were married really young you know that mm-hmm. uh, she was 12 i think it was a different country no, quite obviously. A different country yes. yeah, a different time um <laughs> but very young I, I was 20 when she was 20 and uh three years later we started having kids Scared to death, and um, everybody, all of the couples, we're all hanging around all together. We're all reading the books and how to be the parent, and I'm not <laughs> saying don't read those books. They were all great books, lots of advice. But even then, instinctively, we knew, um, I don't care what book we read that tells us when to potty train the kid and how not to talk to him this way, and how maybe you should say that word, not that word. Um, what's in me and what's in my wife is what's going to get on them we're going to breathe it on them without Mm. even knowing it they're going to catch it like a cold which ought to give you pause because you want to go okay what's in me yeah and you know early days i mean i'd go back to the hit the wall thing i started going dude you're an angry dude when 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 you're going to look at that stuff i went into counseling (laughs) i think joke is well, yeah, I went into counseling, and, you know, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. So I had mother <laughs> issues. I really did. And what an incredible thing to go through my own stuff around my mom, who I 
issues with and mm-hmm. came to authentically let her off the hook mm. and forgive her. And guess what? Some breath came back into me and to her. Yeah. Um, so there's, I'm not giving you a formula, but it's like it's like recognizing and being really honest. You can't fool this. What's in you? I mean, if you can say, yes, Don, honey, that's just what you, you know, you could say it just the right way to your kid. But if you're scared, they're they're going to catch it like a cold. Yeah. Yeah. If you're controlling, they're going to catch it like a cold. Which shouldn't make you despairing. It should make you want to say, God, come, let me be honest about this. Let me, at Open Door, we call it digging in your dirt. Yeah. Invite some, help me, come dig in my dirt and Help me get rid of this and bring it to God and um, wonder why mm. uh, I have to control, I have to be in charge. Or... And, the, and this can happen at age 20, age 40. This does not have an age limitation. I'm thinking about people <laughs> listening that may be 65 and thinking, I have never done anything like that. But but God's grace is so good, right? I mean, Absolutely. At, at any time in life, you, you, you make that move and that breath begins to come. Amen. Amen. And and what I would say, too, this is good news, bad news. <laughs> right. The good news is that never stops. The bad news is that never stops. Right. Because, <laughs> right. I mean, there really is this. There are choices along the way. You know, you get this diagnosis or something else happens or having to leave open door was hard. And, and, uh, and, and, and it was really, at the end, very, very good. But you get choices along the way and they never get easier. Yeah. Um, they're different. You know, I don't know. This is when I was 16. I never did 16. I don't know how to do 16. I'm 67. I don't know how to do 67. <laughs> I never been here before. So right. It's it's a new thing. And it requires the same kind of humility, I think, and desire to uh, create space for the life of God to be speaking to you. And you can choose better really quick. Easy mm. way to go. Um, it's weird because it's not hard for me to go. That can sometimes be my thing of choice. I could go yeah. there really easy at times. Um, but I don't, I don't think I have overall. I mean, here on Monday, maybe, but not too. <laughs> <laughs> we have just a couple minutes left here, too. And looking at some of the excerpts of the book earlier today, Dave, I, you referenced some, uh, some things that maybe help us finish uh, full of faith as well. And that maybe that this isn't the end of the story. That, that there's another story yet to come. I, I think about, you know, the, the, the stories of Narnia and C.S. Lewis where mm. they talk about that's the end of their story, but it's actually just the beginning. And, and I, I have to imagine as you're dealing with whatever life you have left, to, to have that in front of you still, ha- it has to help being filled with faith at the end. It does. It's, it's the great promise of our faith is that even if we die, yet we live. And the unique promise of our faith. When I get my head around that and I can and I give attention to that, the the it it, it fills me with tremendous hope and peace. Um, but this whole idea, idea that with your last breath, you could actually bless. Really, mm. wow! I want to do that. But what if with your last breath, you're back at the garden and 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 the giver of life breathes right back into you and you're in a whole different kind of life. Yeah. Back, full circle, right back to Genesis 1, breathing into the nostrils of this guy who just died. Yeah, it's not the whole story. Yeah. It's more. 
So. And, yeah, and if we didn't have that uh, among uh, all people, we'd be the most to be pitied, right? <laughs> I mean, this is a, it's the, the great revealer of the falsities of the things that you described earlier that we can attend to for an entire lifetime. But the, and it doesn't mean they're unimportant, but it does mean that they will burn in the end. And, and so what does it mean to be the kind of person that starts asking different kinds of questions at whatever age, whether you're, again, 20 or, or 40 or 60? Um, it's easy to be uh, blinded pretty quickly by the realities of this world until you are confronted with the stark reality that there really is only one giver of breath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Well, I appreciate the time in studio. Uh, I would love, I mean, if you just have, we have got a minute left. I don't know if you'd mind just praying for our listeners that maybe mm-hmm. are even thinking, gosh, how do I take that step? And then we'll close up our show for the day. That'd be great. That'd be great. Holy Spirit, um, come. It's, this is odd because we're in the studio and I'm picturing this going into living rooms and cars and people that we have no idea of, but you do. So, do what you do. Breathe life right now into men and women, husbands and wives, kids um, who need a fresh breath of your spirit on the way home, stuck in traffic, wherever they are. Um, I thank you, God, that this metaphor of breath that began in the beginning keeps coming because you just never give up breathing life into us. I pray you um, just do that and, and, and make us receptive and, and aware of it when um, you do it, thus making us grateful. Mm. Right in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you, man. Thanks for all the wisdom and the thoughts and, and stuff that you shared. Just such a blessing. Uh, you, you are breathing life um, in these times. So, Thanks, Peter. Yeah, and blessings on the journey. Yeah, that wraps up our show for today and the Bill Arnold Show as well. I uh, hope you have a great evening, everyone, and, and uh, perspective of the kingdom as part of your life moving forward. We'll catch you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.